Well, praise the Lord. That's good. Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 10, and then we're going to uh, direct our attention to verse 9 and move right along, okay? We've been in this uh, particular study for a little while, and uh, not awfully long, but for a few weeks now, and we've been addressing this issue, secrets of successful living. Secrets of successful living, and we've been dealing with the thought or the idea, making it our ambition to please Him. Making it our ambition to please Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There in verse 1 we read, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For that we, excuse me, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now we've been focusing on that verse 9 lately, and that's the one we use to kind of kick off our particular study, or at least making it our ambition to please Him at least. It says, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. And again, as, as we've noted, it ought to be the constant aim of every single believer, everyone that knows the Lord, it should be our constant aim to be well-pleasing to Him. I mean, the Bible says in Revelation 4, 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. It's for His pleasure. So what we find here is that we're told that pleasing God, then, should be our greatest ambition, because we are created for that purpose. So the question we asked was, is, is your ambition to please Him? And it ought to be. It ought to be my ambition. It ought to be yours. It ought to be every believer's ambition. And there is nothing greater than living day by day a life which is well-pleasing to the Lord. And that's what we kind of noted in our introductory notes. And as we kicked things off, we said, now, how in the world or how do we become uh, pleasing to God? What kind of conditions must we meet if we want to have a, a life that pleases the Lord? And we started off by saying, well, we must be born again. We said that's obviously most important. You have to, first of all, be a part of his family. That's a, a condition of pleasing God. Why? Because until you're born again, you're not in the spirit. You're in the flesh. And you can't please God in the flesh. And so you have to be born again. Number two, we said, we must separate ourselves from all sinful and doubtful things. All sinful and doubtful things. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, No man that war entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. 
We said that many times, if we're not careful as believers even, we get ourselves wrapped up and tangled up with the world. Well, that doesn't please God because God has a purpose and a plan for our life and it certainly doesn't include the flesh and it doesn't include the world. And so we've got to be careful we don't get too bound up, wrapped up in the world, tangled up with the world. I mean, we are soldiers for the Lord Jesus Christ and according to this passage, if we're going to war on his behalf, then we as soldiers cannot find ourselves entangled with the affairs of this life. They can't become our priority. They can't, they can't weigh us down. They can't slow us up. We've got to be free to fight the battle that God intended us to fight. And then we finished up last week. We touched on this subject. We said, all right, if we're going to truly please God, what's one of the conditions we must meet? We said, well, we must dedicate our lives to him. We have to dedicate our lives to him. And of course, we noted the passage, uh, uh, just the, the, the amazing passage in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So again, we said, if indeed we're going to please the Lord, we're going to be holy and acceptable to God. Then we have to dedicate ourselves. We have to present ourselves wholeheartedly to Him. And so we kind of concluded there. And that's about the only ones we've gotten to so far. And as we continue in our study, making it our ambition to please Him, we're once again asking the question, what are the conditions that, it, that we must meet in order to please Him? Well, we noted those three already. And we want to begin tonight by touching on another one. And maybe another one even, maybe two. Can you imagine that? But at least one for sure. We must be good witnesses. We need to be good witnesses. If we're going to please the Lord, if we're truly going to honor Him in that regard, we're going to please Him, then we need to be good witnesses. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll consider these couple of thoughts tonight. Father, help us tonight. Speak to our hearts. We're grateful to You, thankful for all You do for us. We ask that You would once again speak to us through Your Word and through the Spirit of God. Lord, may you prepare our hearts that we might be more pleasing in your sight. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. So we must be good witnesses. If we're going to please him, we must be good witnesses. Now again, much of it depends on whether or not you really want to please him or not. Someone says, well, I'm a believer, but I don't know about some of these things. Well, the question isn't some of these things. The question is, do I want to please him? And if you want to please them, then some of these things or all of these things become important to each and every one of us. And so if you want to please them, you must be a good witness. Now, turn if you would to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. The passage reads, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing God, but uh, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Now we know that the Apostle Paul is writing the church at, in, Thessalon, Thessalon, in Thessalonica, 
And here he's making the statement, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Again, it's important to realize that as he's speaking again, he's representing, he's an ambassador for Christ. The truth is we know, and according to the scriptures, we're to be ambassadors of Christ as well. So this passage applies to you and I as well. This is not simply Paul the apostle and those that traveled with him. This is about you and I and the application that it has in our own lives as believers. In this case, we notice a couple of things about the passage. First, we notice we were allowed of God, he says. We were allowed of God. That being allowed of God, interestingly enough, it, it has a tendency to being permitted or privileged. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think not only are they permitted of God to do so, but they are privileged to do so. I mean, that, that seems to be the emphasis. I, I, I see that allowed of God, permitted or privileged. Uh, we, we go on and he says, he says, we're allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. And that means he's been entrusted something. And that something is something that's very valuable and very precious to the Lord. And that's the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, and resurrection. And he says, but as we were allowed of God, we were permitted and privileged of God, we, we were, th- this was put in our trust. It's, it is God who entrusted this privilege of being entrusted with the gospel. Therefore, we seek to please him by being true to the message. Again, he says here in the passage that it's, it's not that we're to be pleasing to men, but unto God. That's who we're to please. And so as we, we share this gospel, as we tell others about the Lord, we need to be careful we don't compromise the gospel in some way in order to make it more palatable or receivable. We can't, we can't kind of uh, you know, do away with the truths of this passage. We've got to continue to lift it up. We've got to continue to hold to the truth, to the, 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 the promises of God. We cannot allow ourselves to buy into the culture of the world we live in or be concerned about how people are going to perceive it. It's not our job to please the people we're speaking to. It's our job to please the one who entrusted the gospel into our care and gave us the privilege of sharing it. Notice he says in the passage as well, even so we speak. And I think that's an amazing statement. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Here's the question. Do you? Do you speak? I mean, the truth is, is that you and I both are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. We've been allowed or permitted. God has said, listen, I have a gospel for you, and here's the gospel. Not only the gospel that saved your soul, but here's the gospel that saves all souls. And I've entrusted it into your care. And Paul says, even so we speak. We speak that gospel that was entrusted into our watch care, so to speak, the one that was given to us to share with others. And the question is, he he says, even so we speak. And the question is, do you? You've had the same gospel entrusted to you. I've had the same gospel entrusted to me. Do we speak? That's a good question. See, the gospel's for everybody. The gospel ought to be our whole business. It's to make it known. Someone says, no, our business is to equip the saints. For what purpose? What, so that they can have nice families? Better houses, nicer cars. 
I mean, is that really the goal? I mean, th- is that why we equip the, the saints so they can, they can be, have more character and they can go out in the world and do better in the world and provide better for their families? Is that really what the equipping process is all about in the Christian life? No, that may be a byproduct of it, but the reality is we're to be equipping people so they go out and reach others. To experience expand the kingdom, to reach out to the lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ and make an impact in the world we live in, to bring others to this side, so to speak, to deliver them from, from darkness to light, to, to take them from the, the world and, and into, into the family of God. I mean, when a church becomes a social club, it becomes a problem. When all we do is gather so that our personal needs can be met and every felt need can be provided for, there's a problem. We don't gather here solely so that we can be blessed. We gather here so that we can become a blessing to others. So that we can not only honor Christ and and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, but we can be equipped in order to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to please God, you do go out into the world and do what Jesus did. He left heaven, came to earth to seek and to save that which was lost. There's no way in the world that we possibly as believers can please the Lord unless we're doing the same. Maybe, perhaps, it would be important or needful for us to pray the prayer of the psalmist. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 15. Turn there, would you please? 51, 15. Again, this particular chapter of the book of Psalms is on the heels of David's great sin with Bathsheba. And here David is confessing sin and he is expressing repentance and he is ultimately trying to re, re, you know, rekindle the flame that had been lost. He wants to ensure that his relationship with the Lord is what it ought to be. Notice what he says in Psalm 51, 15. He says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. Believers who witness to the Lord's grace and power in their lives, they do that by living a life. They do that by opening their lips. They do that by sharing what God has already done in their lives. We live a certain way, we speak a certain way, and we, we are, are, are living proof of God's presence and power in our life. The psalmist says, O oh Lord, open thou my lips. He said, listen, I, I've gotten myself in a mess. I've sinned against you. I've put myself in a place where, honestly, I know I have not pleased you. But if you will do this and my life, if you will forgive me and if you will restore me and, and open my lips, then that I may show forth thy praise, that I may speak forth thy praise. Dr. Paul Brand was speaking to a medical college in India in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. You know that passage that says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And in front of the lectern was an oil lamp at the time. And of course the oil lamp had its cotton wick burning from the, uh, from, from a, the shallow dish of oil. And as he preached, the lamp ran out of oil and the wick burned dry. And the smoke made him cough. He started coughing because of the smoke. He immediately used the opportunity. He said, said, some of us here are like this wick. We're trying to shine for the glory of God, but we stink. That's what happens when we use ourselves as the fuel of our witness rather than the Holy Spirit. 
Wicks can last indefinitely, burning brightly and without irritating smoke if the fuel, the Holy Spirit, is in constant supply, he said. Again, the believer's real work and, and one of his greatest works or her work, greatest works is to reach the world, to tell people about Christ. But we don't do that in our own strength. We have to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. David's prayer needs to be our prayer today, doesn't it? O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. We talk about the ball games. We talk about the weather. And we talk about work and relationships and all kind of things. But the psalmist says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. Give me a reason to open my mouth. Well, let me tell you something. God's given you and I a real good reason. Can you imagine? On our way to hell, and yet he left the portals of heaven, came to earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, and died by the hands of his own creation. Good reason to be thankful, because now we're on our way to heaven, not hell any longer. So the first condition for pleasing God is that would one be born again. The next one we said was we, separate, we, need, we must separate ourselves from all sinfulness and doubtful things. Number three, we said we must dedicate our lives to him. Number four, we must be good stewards. <clears throat> Number five, we must be obedient. We must be obedient. Roger Stahlbuck, he, um, he led the Dallas Cowboys to the Super Bowl in 1971. <clears throat> he admitted that his position as a quarterback who didn't call his own signals was a source of, well, of, of frustration for him. It was a trial for him. Again, you would think that it, it, Coach Landry, the coach of the team at that time, he sent in every single play. He told Roger when to pass, when to run. He said only in an emergency can you change the play. Even though Roger considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind when it came to football strategy, something about his own pride kind of dug at him. And he thought to himself, I ought to be able to run my own plays. I mean, I ought to be able to run my own team. Come on, give me a break. I've been quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys long enough. I know what I'm doing. Not no little kid anymore. Roger had to make a decision. Would he allow pride to rule his life and ignore his coach, making himself the star? Or would he listen to the coach and do what he wanted him to do? Stahlbach later said this. He said, quote, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. And that's something. Talking about a grown man, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game of football. He finally came to the place where he recognized the need to obey. He said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. What he realized was it was a simple decision of obeying or disobeying. And you know what? When it comes to pleasing the Lord, it's really a simple proposition. I didn't say it was easy. I'm just saying it's a simple proposition. Either we obey or we disobey. There's no... no way around it. It's one or the other. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. 
And I know every young person and, and youngster in the room is going, oh, here we go again. I know, but hold on. I'm really not trying to nail you today. We're going to nail all the big people. <clears throat> if it was well-pleasing to earthly parents when their children obey them, if that's well-pleasing to them, how much more must it, be, must it please the Lord than when his children obey him? I mean, we are the children of God. You know, and again, it's easy to look at the teenagers and young people, and as adults we say, well, they don't know anything. They're too young. They've not experienced life. They have a limited experiential uh, ability, so they need to listen to us. They need to obey us because we have lived life a little bit. And there's truth to that. I'm not going to discount that. However, let me say this. Our Heavenly Father's been around a lot longer than us. Yet we have this idea because we've lived a few years on planet Earth that we've got it figured out and that we know what's best not only for us, but many times what's best for others. And the reality is, is that as much as it pleases an earthly parent when their children obey them, it's got to please a Heavenly Father when His children please Him. And you know, we're big people. We're big. Been around, some of us are real big. Well, we're big. Let me tell you something. We still need someone, we still need to obey. We need to obey. Because the only thing, like Roger Stallback realized, when we don't obey, it's really our pride getting involved. And pride's not something that we ought to be very pleased with in our own life, seeing that it's what caused the downfall. Not only the downfall of Satan, but ultimately that of mankind. Look, if you would, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 22. You talk about obedience being important to God. Let's see what God has to say about obedience. 1 Samuel 15. First Samuel chapter 15. We're going to go ahead and look uh, at, uh, well, let's just look at verse 22 to begin with. You'll recognize the passage more than likely. If not, you'll learn to uh, appreciate it. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. The Bible says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. See, God had commanded Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. Look in verse 2 and 3 here. He says here, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which, Amalek, the, uh, which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. God has a pretty good memory. You better be careful with that one. So must I. But he remembers when Amalek laid wait for, for Israel in the in, uh, coming up out of Egypt. Now he says, go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and sucking, suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now listen, that's what God told him to do. You got to understand again that unfortunately God, I don't think was as concerned about the people themselves as much as he was the, the ultimate end of the people. I'll tell you what, you know what bothers me about the culture and the society we live in? It's not that it's so decadent in and of itself. It's the legacy that it's leaving and how it's going to impact the next generation. See, I, I'm worried about our children because they're being 
inundated with this, this uh, you know, with sensuality and, and with sin and all the things that the Bible says are not positive or productive for them. And I'm concerned that in the end, it's going to cause them to stray from the things of God and they're going to buy into the philosophy of the world. That's the danger of it all. And then once they buy into the philosophy of the world and they move away from Christ, then there is no hope for them getting to heaven at all. Because without Jesus Christ, you don't go to heaven no matter how good you are or how great your intentions are. You have to be born again. You have to trust Christ your Savior. So if he can get them to be good people or or productive people or even positive people, but they're not Christians, they're not saved, born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, he has a victory there. See, Satan's, uh, Satan is not really as concerned about getting you to go off into deep sin as he is getting you to get away from Jesus Christ. See, that's what he really wants. Because he doesn't have to take someone into deep sin to, to, to ultimately win. The goal is to worship him because the truth is there's only the God of this world and there's truly the big G God. And so when we don't worship big G God, we are literally worshiping little G God. And it doesn't matter whether you're an adulteress, whether you are a a drunkard or a drug addict or you're some kind of horrible sinner that's a a murderer or horrible other things that we could list. That's not necessarily the goal of the devil. The goal of the devil is to get you away from Jesus Christ. And as long as you don't trust and receive him, he has a victory. Good isn't enough. We need to be godly. And the devil wants you to be, you're allowed to be good. You can't be godly though. And as believers, he'd be thrilled for us to simply, now that we are saved, to just say, well, you know what, it's all about me and mine. It's not about reaching a world or anything like that. And so I'm not really going to obey in certain areas of the Bible. I'm content to go my own direction in this, this area, and I'll obey him in this area. Boy, he's getting a victory there. In this case, we find scripturally that God's very concerned about obedience. He's telling him, you are to utterly destroy all that they have. Spare them not, but slay everything, everything, everything. Well, we pick up the story in verse 9. And note the commentary in verse 9. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good. All that was good. In whose eyes? Isn't that an interesting phrase, all that was good? I'm trying to think, all that was good in whose eyes? The world's eyes, the the, the people that saved it alive, all this stuff alive, or was it God? God said, get rid of it all. But notice again, all that was good, and, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuge, that they destroyed utterly. You know, the sad part is, and this is a danger that we run into because we find it in Scripture, is when we become the judge. When we set ourselves up on a pinnacle and say, I know what is good and I know what is bad. I know what is right. I know what is wrong. I know what is evil and I know what is righteous. I make that determination. I've been around long enough to know the difference. No, no, no. It doesn't matter what you and I judge or how we see it. It matters how God sees it. I'm looking at a culture that's going totally contrary to the word of God. And yet there are believers across the nation that still want to embrace the very sin that the Lord says is not acceptable. We're watching our world turn upside down 
gender orientation and all the stuff that's going on. And we're saying, well, you need to be compassionate. You do need to be compassionate. And you ought to love people. But my friend, your position cannot be that this is okay now because we live in a different day and age. You can't, it's still wrong. If it was sin, when God called it sin, it's still sin today. And we can't be moving away from that. Why are we struggling with revival? We talk about wanting revival. You don't have revival when we're doing things our way. We've got to embrace God's ways. We've got to believe things the way God says to believe. And we've got to have his perspective, his outlook. And in this case, obedience is so important. The people decided what was best. They said what was good and what was bad. They said what was righteous and what was, was evil. And they made the decision. And unfortunately, it's going to cost Saul greatly. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 15. Saul, he steps up to the plate and like any great leader, makes excuses. you're not awake. Okay, so anyway, verse 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Isn't it interesting? We have utterly destroyed, but it was the people who spared. I love that. So Saul was big enough to take part of the glory Okay, well, we did what you said. We, we destroyed, uh, in this case, I mean, verse 15, we destroyed some things here, Lord. I mean, look what we destroyed. We did this now. Uh, we utterly destroyed the rest of it. But the people, they're the ones that spared things. I didn't spare it. They did it. I destroyed with them. The stuff should have been destroyed. See, again, it's kind of mixed up. This is a leader that's not understanding his role. He somehow thinks he gets a pass. He doesn't get a pass because ultimately, notice how this turns out in verse 15, chapter 15, verse 22. The Lord speaks. Now, Saul gets some word from the Lord. And Samuel, or Samuel gets some word from the Lord. Excuse me. He says, hath the Lord as great delight. Uh, let, me, let me go back a second. Yeah, that's good. I'm sorry. 22 will be fine. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? You've got to understand that earlier he said, listen, we're going we're to offer this to God. We're going to make these, these things we spared, we're going to make them sacrifices to God. We're doing this for the Lord. We didn't destroy everything because some of it was good. We made that determination ourselves, and now we're going to offer it to our God. That's why we did it, Samuel. We're going to give it back to God as a sacrifice. And that's when Samuel says the famous words in 22, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. He goes on to say in verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Well, I'll tell you what, that was a major price to pay. Major price. Look at John chapter 14, verse 15. John chapter 14, verse 15. Again, one of those definitive passages in the Bible here. I don't know about you, but I'm sure if you, you really give it some thought, 
probably like myself, you could come up with situations where you kind of compromised with God a little bit. You know, where you knew exactly what he wanted you to do, but you thought, well, I'll do this to kind of make up for it. I mean, I know I should be doing this, but I'm going to do this. I don't feel comfortable doing that. I, I feel more comfortable doing this, and so I'm going to do this. I, whether it's soul winning or whether it's literally obeying the Lord in some area of service or whatever it might be, passing a track out, whatever it might be. I, I, there's been times I know where I've tried to reason with God a little bit. I'll go ahead and I'll make a sacrifice instead of obeying. I don't know, maybe you've never done that, but I know in my own life there's been times where I found myself kind of hedging on some things. But in John 14, 15, the Bible says, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, do you love the Lord? Then be obedient. Obedience says, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. That's what obedience says. You know what's so tough for parents, young people, is when, and when you disobey your parents, they, they, they take it personal. And you're like, yeah, don't take it personal. I'm just growing up. I just don't need you on my back. They take it real personal. You want to know why? Because it says something about how you feel about them or lack. I mean, when you obey your parents, you're saying, you know what? They're more important. What they think and how they feel is more important than how, what I think and how I feel. I'm going to obey them. Not only am I commanded to obey my parents, but I would rather suffer than them suffer. That's called love, see? That's what love does. Love always says, I'll suffer before you. So when you obey your parents, even when you really don't want to, you're telling them, I love you. And they know that. But when you don't obey them, down deep, they also feel pretty slighted because they're wondering, why? how could you hurt me like this? Why would you disobey me? Have I not been good to you? Have I not tried to provide for you? Have I not tried to meet your needs? And the Heavenly Father's doing the same thing. Here he is providing us with everything. He's given us our soul salvation. He's provided us with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He's empowered us and enabled us to live the Christian life victoriously. How do we repay him? In love or selfishness? One of the greatest men of God that ever lived was the Apostle Paul. And he had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. In Acts chapter 9, verse 6, we read, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Upon meeting the Lord, Paul immediately asked us an important question, doesn't he? I mean, a very important question. What wilt thou have me to do? And he wasn't a Christian very long at this point, was he? He had just met the Lord. What wilt thou have me to do? Some believers have been saved for years and years. And my question today to each and every one of us is, have you ever asked that question? When Adonair Judson graduated from college and seminary, he received a call from a fashionable church in Boston to become its assistant pastor. Everyone congratulated him. His mom, his sister, they rejoiced that he could finally, he he could live at home and, and with them and do his life work. But Judson just shook his head. He said, quote, 
My work is not here. God is calling me beyond the seas to stay here, even to serve God in his ministry. I feel would be only partial obedience, and I could not be happy in that. And although it cost him a great struggle, he left his mom and his sister to follow the heavenly call. You know that Judson's churches in Burma had 50,000 converts, and the influence of his consecrated life was felt around the world. We still talk about Adonair Judson to this day. I'm reading a book, and so are the singles. 50, 50 people, 50 people, that, 50 Christians every, no, 50 people every Christian should know, I believe it's called. And we're reading about all these different, 50 different uh, Christians. Guess who's in that book? Adonair Judson. Adonair Judson. I'm teaching a class on church history. And I didn't get to it today, but I'm going to get to it here in a little bit. I borrowed some statements and some phrases and even a quote from that particular man. Hudson Taylor. After all these years, he's been gone into heaven. We still are quoting him. We're still referring to him. We're still speaking about him. Why? Not because he disobeyed God, but because he obeyed God. So have you ever asked the Lord the same question that the Apostle Paul did? What wilt thou have me to do? Well, what a great question to ask. And you know, if we're going to please the Lord, then we have to ask that question. Not only once in our life, maybe not even twice or three times, but really we need to ask him that all the time. What wilt thou have me to do, Lord? We head out the door, what wilt thou have me to do? We stop at the store, what wilt thou have me to do? May God help us to want to please him. To make it our greatest ambition in life, to please the master. You know, the one who will be benefited the most, blessed the most, will be us and our families. God's good that way. When we obey him, it always ends up in our favor. Always ends up in our favor. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we had, Lord, just to spend a a few moments discussing and talking just a little bit about pleasing you and how to get that done. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us uh, as believers. We are a needy people. May we make it our ambition to please you. Lord, you've given us some things to think about. May, Lord, we be born again if we haven't been. May we separate ourselves from all sinful and doubtful things. Help us to be dedicated dedicating our lives to you, to be good witnesses and to be obedient. Lord, may you speak to our hearts and and convict us of our sin and show us our great need. And may we ask that question that needs to be asked regularly. What wilt thou have me to do? And may we be obedient. We'll thank you. We'll praise you. Speak to the hearts of your people. Work in our lives in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all